Well, good morning. What a privilege it is to have everyone here uh, this morning. My name is Tim Bedall, and I serve as a teaching pastor here at the church, and uh, I get the wonderful role of uh, opening God's Word each and every Sunday uh, in this place and to uh, share what God has to say to us, His people. And uh, we are a, a church that loves to open God's Word. So if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's all right, but there should be a Bible somewhere in the pew racks in front of you. And I want you to turn to page 421 in your pew Bibles this morning to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a uh, book that's over 150 chapters long, and it's written by uh, a myriad of different individuals who uh, wrote songs to the Lord. And uh, one of the ones we're going to look at this morning is Psalm 86. We're going to be taking a a week away from our series that we've been looking at as we've been studying the book of Malachi, that last book of the Old Testament. We'll get back into that next week, but we want to focus in on what the kids we're learning this week at VBS. What an incredible week. I had the opportunity to be here two mornings of the week and just an amazing time. Uh, uh, the volunteers and all the leaders and the staff there did a fabulous job in serving the children of this community and they are to be commended for the work uh, that they have done. As church leaders, we always look at different ministries and Try to ask the question, what can we do to improve? What can we do to make it even better next year? And I don't think I found much that we could improve on on VBS. I found something that we could do to improve the Sunday morning church service. I was here at the end of the service or at the end of the uh, the day uh, when the kids would all gather in the sanctuary, sing some songs, and then the big highlight came. And uh, there was uh, this woman who had come in with these two water jugs and the kids would start yelling, Miss Penny, Miss Penny. And I didn't understand quite what was going on. And uh, I saw someone who looked like Karen Elwood in a grass skirt, just bouncing all over the place and coming down the aisle, the most popular individual in the VBS week. And I said, you know what? As I saw the kids so excited and heard that they gave over $1,600, I went to a couple of our deacons and I said, I think we found our stewardship director. And that's, that's how we're going to pay uh, the bills. That's how we're going to get people to give to the Lord. So uh, we, we do find ways uh, to minister from VBS. But what an incredible week. And as I began to think about what I might share with you for the next couple of moments, I looked to the theme of what VBS had as their motto for the week, living God's unshakable truth. The mission statement they had for the week was that this week of VBS would be a time where kids would be taught where to find the stability they need to face a world of shifting sands and wavering opinions. The goal this week for our church was to reach out to the community, to reach out to children and tell them that there is truth in a world of falsehoods, that there is a place where they can find stability, where they can find their help in time of need. And the place is in God's unchanging and unshakable word, the Holy Bible, that book that is in your hands We here at Village Bible Church love the Bible. It's our middle name. And we strive to do all that it says, no matter how difficult at times it may be. But this passage that we have, Psalm 86, is one that is written by a man by the name of David. 
Now, you may know David from the Bible. David started out as uh, just a normal boy in a big family full of other greater boys. And yet he found himself being the shepherd of his father's flock on his farm, uh, father's farm. And yet some experiences began to happen in David's life uh, that, that allowed him to be something more than just an average boy in his day. We know that David would be the one who as a young boy would stand before a great giant named Goliath. That story that we've heard so many times in church where he takes that sling and that rock and he takes it and it sends it right into the middle of the head of that great giant knocking him dead and finding great victory for his nation. But in Psalm 86, we don't find a victorious David. In Psalm 86, we don't find one uh, who is the king of Israel. In Psalm 86, David uh, is in the latter part of his life and he's looking back and, and he's struggling because at this point in his life, after being king, after being the great warrior of Israel, he's being chased by enemies. There are people in his own kingdom who wanted him out of his kingdom and they wanted him to be taken care of once and for all. But not only did he have enemies chasing after him, he had his own family issues and struggles. See, later on in David's life, David allowed sin to take place in his life. He allowed an inappropriate relationship to happen with a woman named Bathsheba. And the results of that sin were huge in David's life. And he finds himself reeling in Psalm 86. And in Psalm 86, if you look at the heading, it is a prayer from David. Well, what are we to know and understand about this prayer? Here we find David fearful and worried, being chased by his enemies, life full of trials and tribulations. His wall is against the back. Uh, his back is against the wall. And as a result of that, as a result of that, you would think he would have given in and quit. But in Psalm 86, we find that he finds himself a hope. He finds himself a strength to turn to when life got difficult. I don't know about you, but many times I find myself in David's shoes. Many times it seems that this world is a lot more difficult than I was ever taught that it, it may be. That it, things come up in life, that troubles seem to come, and not just one trouble at one point, something you can handle, but trouble after trouble. It seems in our life that trials and tribulations are prevalent in our world. It doesn't take us long to open up the newspaper. It doesn't take us long to turn on the TV to find a world that seems to be in chaos. But it's not just chaos that happens in far off lands, but we even find ourselves today in times of chaos and in our own individual lives. As we look at uh, the last couple weeks here as a church, we see that suffering is a part of life. In fact, in John 16, 33, Jesus tells his disciples that in this world, you'll have trouble. The Savior, he tells his disciples, you're going to have trouble. Even though you know who I am, even though you've hung out with me for these last three years, you're going to experience trouble. And they did. And we as followers of God, followers of Christ, find ourselves in that same boat. We find ourselves in a world of trouble. A man by the name of Job, a whole book was written about him in the Old Testament, talking about his life of trials, said this about trouble and trials. He said that man is born to trouble. When my parents brought me into this world, I'm sure my parents looked at my little infant body and said, that is trouble. And boy, 
He's going to be a lot of fun. And exactly what a great prophecy. I was born to troubles. But that's not the kind of troubles that Job was talking about. Job was talking about the hardships that we face. As a church, we see this all the time. We have people in our church that are struggling with different types of cancer, different types of debilitating diseases, where there seems to be no hope, where the doctors seem to say uh, there isn't much source of encouragement in this type of struggle. In these past couple of weeks, I've uh, attended three wakes and funerals for uh, individuals who've lost loved ones. That's never fun. That's never something we look forward to, but it's a way of life and it's a part of the trials and tribulations that we face. We see it going on in our churches with struggling marriages. The thing that's supposed to be so right and it started out so perfect and, and, and at some point, for whatever reason, a husband and a wife can't even look each other in the eye anymore and find themselves not loving one another, but in fact hating each other because of the struggles that they have. We see it in broken lives, time in and time out. This world is full of troubles. I began to think about what are we to do in this world of troubles? Jesus, if you say there are troubles, how are we to fix it? How are we to take care of it? Where are we to go? And I thought about a a movie when I was younger in the 80s that uh, seemed to try to answer that question for another reason. If you remember in the 80s, there was a movie called Ghostbusters. Now I'm aging myself as a result of this, but Ghostbusters was of course about a city that had been taken over by ghosts, some friendly, some not so friendly. And a team of guys that included Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd created this team of individuals called the Ghostbusters. They said, when trouble came, you call us and we'll take care of your time of need. We'll deal with the situation. Ray Parker uh, wrote the theme song for this movie, Ghostbusters. And I like what he has to say, and I think it applies to our own lives. When there's something strange happening in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? When there's something weird that happens and it don't look good, who are you going to call? Now, we could try to call Ghostbusters, but I don't think it's going to take care of our health issues. We can try to call the Ghostbusters, but I'm not sure they're very good at marital counseling. We could try to call Ghostbusters, but it probably won't take care of the bouncing of checks and the discord that we have with relationships all over in our lives. So where are we to go? Who are we to call on when trouble comes? David gives the answer in Psalm 86. So what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you stand as a way of our tradition as we read God's Word this morning, as we look at this passage of Scripture. Psalm 86, verses 7 through 13. This is what David says. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. Let me pray for our time. Father God, as we spend a moment in your word this morning, 
Lord, I pray that it would change our lives. Lord, there are many here today who find themselves in, in a place they don't usually find themselves on a Sunday morning, in your church. And Lord, I pray especially for them this morning that uh, you would give them insights to what is being shared from your word. Lord, we are a people who find ourselves in trouble. Lord, we know that there's troubles brewing even as storms come in the West. We can see troubles brewing in our own lives. And Lord, we need to know where to turn. We need to know where to go. So Lord, open our eyes to teach us that you are the place. You are our shield, our refuge, an ever-present help in times of trouble. And that in that we will find the peace that only you can give. And that we can find your son in that midst of that storm. That we'll find Jesus there who will help and protect in our time of need. To you be the glory and honor and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. David gives three, three places that we can begin to find ourselves calling on the Lord. Now notice what he says in Psalm 86, verse 7. He says, in my day of trouble. He doesn't say, if my day of trouble comes. He emphatically says, in my day of trouble. Now notice what he says after that. In my day of trouble, I will call to you, my Lord. What he's saying is, is I know where I'm going to go. Now, how did David know where he was going to go? I think a lot of uh, what I teach my five and a half year old, we were at a, at a fair this last week, and, and I always tell my son when we get into busy places to know what to do if he ever loses sight of us. I tell him, you know what, Noah, if you don't see where we've gone and you find yourself by yourself, I want you to uh, just stay where you're at. I will find you. Don't come looking for me. And he said, you know, the next thing I want you to do, if you don't find me right or if you don't see me right away and I can't find you, I want you to look for a police officer or a nice looking mommy. Okay. So I said, you look for someone who looks like your mommy and you tell them your name, you tell them where you live and you tell them what my name is so that when I come, they will know that I'm here to get you. And that seems to be what David is doing when it comes to his time of trial. In my time of trial, when the trial comes, it's beforehand, in my day of trouble, I will find you. Uh, I'll find you, Lord, is what he's saying. Now this word, uh, I will call to you, literally is I will yell for you. I will cry out to you. Isn't that what we do in our time of trial? When troubles come, we don't say in, in nice, quiet statements, help me, uh, I'm struggling here. We cry out to uh, people around us and we say, we're really struggling. Things are not the way they should be. And David, in fact, cries out to God and he says, I will call out to you. So what are we to do when troubles come? What did David do? Well, the first thing he did is, is something we need to do, and that is be open to God's deliverance. In our day of trouble, we must be open to God's deliverance. Look at what verse 7 says. In my day of trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. David speaks confidently about the fact that if he cries out to God, God will answer him. That he will uh, be protected, that he will be taken care of. There's a confidence there. David says, I will cry out and you will listen. 
You will hear me. You will take care of the need that I have. And David was more than open to it. But where did this confidence come from? Why was he so open to allowing God to take care of him? Well, it involved a couple things. First of all, it involved a systematic comparison. It involved a systematic comparison. The reason why David was so willing to trust God was that he had done some comparing. He had done some shopping of the other gods around. Look at verse 8. Among the gods there is none like you. No deeds can compare with yours. Think about this for a moment. David knows trouble's going to come. It had come in his life at many different times. And David says, when my time of trouble comes, I need to know ahead of time whom I'm going to call. When you leave a babysitter to watch your children, you don't say, uh, you know, good luck when trouble comes or something happens with the baby. What you do is you give them 150 different phone numbers of every person you know so that when that time of trial comes, they know exactly who to call. David says, I want to know who to call and I want to make sure whoever I do call upon that there will be the right answer and they will be the ones that should go. And look at what the criteria of his comparison is. He says he looks to all the other gods. Now, every nation in David's day would have had a particular god. Its gods were kind of like baseball teams back in the day. There were uh, not-so-good gods. They called them the south-side gods. And then there were the great gods. We called him the north-side god. And... uh, And as a result of that, David looks, and what does he see? He says, of all the gods around, there is none like you. Now, what is the criteria? The criteria is the deeds. Notice what it says in verse 8. Your deeds, God, are the best. Now, David would have known the deeds of the national gods around him. He was king. He knew what the gods, the other gods were doing. He knew that they hadn't done much, that even though they had talked big games and involved themselves in a lot of different uh, things and parts of life, that they hadn't done much. But when David looks at his God, he knows what what God had done for his ancestors. He knew the stories of Moses and the Israelites and the great miracles that God allowed. But not only looking at his lives of ancestors around him, but he looks at his own life and says, God, you've been very good to me. God, you've done marvelous things for me. So what David finds himself doing as his day of trouble approaches, as he does resumes on who I'm going to call to. You know, when trouble comes our way, we find ourselves so many times looking for people to help us out. Maybe it's a great doctor. Maybe it's a great motivational speaker. Maybe it's a book that we've read. Maybe it's a family friend. And we say, in our day of trouble, we're going to turn there and they will have the answer. They will have the hope that I need to have in my time of trouble. But I want to tell you, when you begin to do a comparison, you're going to come to the same understanding that David did. As great as those things may be, there's no one greater than God. Look at what he says in verse 9 and 10, because not only is there a systematic comparison, but there's a settled conclusion. David comes to his conclusion on who he's going to trust, on who he's going to turn to. In verse 9 and 10, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. Why would they do that? Why would they bring glory and honor to your name? For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. You know, we get this idea in our lives that, that we're God. We get this idea that there's nothing in this world that we can't face. 
We seem to start putting medals on our chest saying, look at all that I've accomplished. Look at all the things I've been able to do on my own. Who needs God? And yet it is said that there are no atheists uh, in uh, the trenches of war, that there are no atheists as a plane is going down. It seems that in our time of trial, we don't look to ourselves and our own accomplishments, but that's when we begin to cry out to God. David says before his trial began, he says, in that day of trouble, I know you're a marvelous God. I know you're a great God. And I have concluded that when that trouble comes, it won't be a last ditch effort to pursue you and to know you. But before that trial comes, I will know you because you're my only hope. He was open to God's deliverance. But notice what happens next. It doesn't just involve being open to it, but we must be obedient to God's direction. We must be obedient to God's direction. Notice what the text says. Once he concludes that God is the only one who can help, he responds in verse 11, the key verse of VBS. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Let's stop there for a moment. He knows, he concludes that God is the only way, that God is the only one who can help him in his time of need. Now, once he does that, he makes a decision. The decision is, is I'm going to follow God. Now, this direction involves two things. First of all, it involves God's decrees. It involves God's decrees. When we do a comparison and we look to the world, we usually will compare what they have to offer. And what they usually have to offer is some sang, some support mechanism, some book, whatever it may be. But when we go to God, we say, well, what would God do for me? Well, it involves his decrees. What I mean by decrees is what he has said. What has he articulated to us? Well, the book that you're holding in your hand is 66 books of God speaking to us. It is the word of God. That's what we call it because that's what God calls it. Literally, it says that God breathed this book into existence and wrote it. His thoughts and his ideas are here. Well, well, why is that so important? Because David says, if I'm going to find success in following after God, then I must know what God has to say. Now, notice what he says in the text. I will follow your way. Well, what is the way? The way is the Bible. Now, for some of you, you've come in today and you say, well, I know what the Bible is. It's God's list of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. Don't really, really do that because that's even worse than the one in the middle. And it's all these lists of things that we can and can't do. But I want to change your mind on that this morning. The Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts. But many of us that, that own newer cars would know it's that navigation system. We put in there where we want to go. Our desire is one day to be in a place called heaven. We desire to be in a place of peace and a place of joy. And the, and the word of God is that system where we type in, if I desire to get to heaven, I type in heaven's address and the Bible begins to lead the way. David said early, uh, later in the book of Psalms that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Is God's word that to you in your life? What was the last time you opened God's word and looked to what God's word had to say about certain details? I'll tell you, it talks about marriage. It talks about finances. It talks about depression. It talks about health issues. It talks about every subject that I know that man deals with because God created us and he knows what we need. And when he had that book written, he knew exactly what needed to be said. 
for us, His creation. But notice what happens next. It's not just God's decrees, but it involves us making a decision. Disobedience involves making a decision. Look at what he says. He says, uh, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Now he calls it the way, and now he calls it truth. In a world full of lies, God announces that his word is true. In a world that says there are many ways to God, David says that it is only through his way that we can find his truth. It's no irony that Jesus said to his disciples and to all those who were listening in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There are no many paths to God. There is one. His name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there is one mediator between God and man, the person called Jesus Christ. As a result of that, a decision is made. He says, okay, God, I'll go your way. I'll follow what you say, but to do that, it involves something. When he says, I will walk, the idea in the Hebrew, will walk, literally means a whole uh, person movement. When you walk, you don't walk with one leg and not another. When you walk, you don't uh, leave your head back uh, 20 feet behind you. When you walk, you, you move your whole body. When David says, I will walk in your truth, it means all of me is going to go. I'm going to do whatever you say, and it is going to be a whole being answer to what you've called me to be. He makes a decision. He obeys God, and he says, it's not good enough just to say, God, when trouble comes, I may turn to you as one of my options. What he says is, I will turn to you. You're going to be the first one I turn to, and I'm going to make it my decision to turn my whole body, my whole being to you. I will tell you something. Many of you today, whether uh, you want to acknowledge it or not, find yourself in a time of struggle. You find yourself hurting in, in many different ways. Some of them may be because of something that has nothing to do with who you are. That, that nothing could have changed the health condition you're facing. While others of us may find ourselves struggling, not because of something that uh, just happened uh, as a matter of fate or as a matter of uh, something that did not involve you, but it did involve you. As a result of sin, as a result of a bad decision you made, you find yourself in a trial. Either of those two, where are you going to turn? Where are you going to walk? Well, as David continues to move forward, he gives us one final element to this uh, process. He says, be open, be obedient. And now notice he says, be one. Be one with God in your devotion. Look at what he says. Teach me uh, your way. Let me walk in your truth and give me an undivided heart. The word undivided means a singular focus, a singular plan. Lord, I don't want to be moving in this direction or that direction. So what does he ask for? He says, give me an undivided heart. So when times of trouble come, when times of turmoil take place, when that call from the doctor brings bad news... When the spouse that I've loved all these years says, I'm done, where do I go? I go to God and I turn to him and he's my only answer. Notice what happens when we begin to do that because David gets a singular focus, a singular passion. He says, I know where I need to go to find victory and it produces some things in us. Number one, it produces a proper reverence towards God, a proper reverence towards God. When we start getting one with God, when we start saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to walk in your path. I'm going to do what you say. 
then we get a proper reverence. What does reverence mean? The Bible says in that text that I may fear your name. Well, what does fear mean? We've been talking about that as a church. Fear means respect. It means reverence. It means honoring. It means making sure that we understand that God is something bigger and better than we are, that he's greater than anything in this world. It seems that times of trial teach that about, teach us about that with God. It seems when natural disasters take place, we begin to look to God and we begin to ask God to intervene. Why? Because troubles make us small and they make God big. In our times of trials, we find ourselves feeling very little and God looks very, very big. When we turn to God in our time of trouble, we're going to stand in reverence with him. He says that I may fear you, that I may honor you for what you've done. Look at what the text says. There are none like you. Let me tell you something that Village Bible Church stands by 100% without faltering. We come here every Sunday morning and worship one individual. Not the preacher, not the worship team, not the great nursery help, not the person that stands and introduces himself at the door. We don't worship any of those people. We worship God. Why? Because we fear him. We respect him because there is none like him. He is holy. He is just. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is at all places at all times, and he has done great and marvelous things, and that is why Village Bible Church exists, to honor and to glorify him. Now notice what happens next. He says that there's passionate rejoicing. There's passionate rejoicing for who God is. Now knowing what God has done, these great and marvelous things, he says, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. Why would David rejoice in times of trouble? That would be the last thing it would seem that we as human beings would do to start rejoicing. But even the New Testament tells us in the book of James that we are to consider trials, we're to consider them with joy. Why would we do that? Because David knew something that we must also recognize and know, that even in our deepest, darkest of times of trials and troubles, that God is with us. That God says he will never leave us or forsake us. That God calls our trials light and momentary trials. That they compare in no way to the great and marvelous things that we have in our future. Why can we rejoice? Because we know that even though the storm may be large and the storm may seem to knock us around, that we believe in the God of the storm. And it's hard to do sometimes. I, I was a part of a great storm this last week. I went to the Cubs game. And in the middle of the Cubs game, the tornado sirens go off and we're a part of this horrific storm. And it's easy to look around and say, what is going on? How, how are we going to get out of this? And yet then to realize as a child of God that my God is the one who controls the storm. Even in the life of Jesus Christ, Jesus at times calmed the stormy sea to prove his ability and his might against the toughest of storms. And if he can do that with weather, if he can do that with natural uh, incidences that happen in this world, can he not help us in our time of need, in our time of trouble? Notice why he does it. It involves a personal relationship with God. Look at what he says in verse 13. For great is your love toward me. Why does God help us in our time of need? 
God could just leave us. He could say, you know what? You guys messed it all up way back in the garden. You should have followed what I said and you didn't. And as a result of that, I'm going to let you just feel the consequences of not following me. I'm just going to allow you to kind of feel the pain. But God doesn't do that because the Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, while we find ourselves in trials and tribulations because of our sin, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. He demonstrates his love for us in this. He says, you don't have to endure these trials and tribulations on your own. Turn to me and and begin a relationship with me. And as a result of that, I will protect you. As a result of that, I will walk you through that storm. As a result of that, I will be able to help you endure any trial that comes my way. Notice what God does. Look at the powerful response that takes place. David says, For great is your love toward me. And what does that do? It says, God, you have delivered me from the depths of the grave. The worst trial that we can ever face is our own impending death. And David was fearful for his life. Remember, a group of men are chasing after him. His own family wants him dead. And he looks to God and he says, you have protected me. You have rescued me. And you say, well, Tim, I've never been rescued by God. I've never been protected by God. You don't understand. God doesn't do much for me. Let me tell you this. The Bible teaches very specifically and very uh, succinctly that we are all sinners. And as a result of being sinners, the Bible says, for the wage of sin is death. All of us have an impending death sentence. We're on death row, if you will. And as a result of that sin, we find ourselves lost and without any hope for eternal salvation. But God, in his great love for us, sent his son Jesus to die. And as a result of that, we now have the opportunity to have eternal life. But how are we to find it? We're to find it in a relationship with God, a personal relationship with him. Because Jesus Christ died on that cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago to enable you and I to be saved, to have the opportunity to experience salvation. Just like David, God desires a relationship with you. Just like David, God desires to rescue you from your sin. But to experience that peace, you and I must bow the knee to Jesus. To experience that joy, you and I must follow the lead of our Savior. For you and I to experience an understanding of why things happen to even good people, we must turn to our God in heaven with our whole being. It is there that we find a proper reverence. It is there that that love relationship gives us joy amidst the toughest struggles. It is there that we find the peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts in mind in Christ Jesus. It is there that we are able to rejoice because we can cast all our anxieties on God because he cares for us. I want you to close your eyes for a moment as we close our time, as the kids are going to be coming back here. But I want us to have a moment. We spent time talking to the children this week about an unshakable truth. And the question I have for you this morning is, have you experienced that unshakable truth that God loves you and that God desires for you to be his child? Have you ever turned to God in your time of greatest struggle and said, Lord, without you, I can do nothing? That's what we taught the kids this week at VBS. And it doesn't take church membership. It doesn't take giving to a church. 
It doesn't uh, mean doing just good things and making sure your good outweighs the bad. But what it means is giving yourself to Jesus. Giving yourself wholly to Him. Turning away from the life that you've lived and say, No more, God. I will live for Jesus. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And it begins by, by praying and asking God to come into your life, to lead and to guide. It, it means praying and, and admitting to God that you're a sinner and that you're in need of salvation. It takes a prayer to repent of your sins, to say, no longer will I live that way, but I want to live for you. It takes a prayer that says, give me Jesus. The world can have all that it has, but I want Jesus. If you have never uh, come to that type of affirmation, then today is the day that you can. And we as a church want to lead you to that end. And so before you leave, as the kids come, before you leave this place, Come to that moment. Come talk with me. Come talk to one of the people that are on the stage here. Go talk to the people at the Welcome Center. We want to tell you more about Jesus. We want to tell you what Jesus has done for you and the change he's made in our lives. Don't leave this place without giving yourself to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, oh, we thank you. We praise you for who you are and what you've done. You are a marvelous God, for there is none like you. But Lord, I know that there are some who are deep in trials and troubles today. Lord, their hearts are in turmoil. Lord, I pray they would give themselves to you this morning. That you would come and you would calm their hearts and that you would show the way to everlasting life. Lord, for those that are around who say, I don't have any troubles. Everything is good. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself in a powerful way to them this morning to know that it shouldn't take trials for us to just come to you. That we should recognize that we're lost and in need of a sinner. Oh God, I pray that that would become a reality today. And that many would come to you. Because the Bible says if we don't turn to you, that there's great destruction and there's great pain that comes as a result. You say that if, if we don't believe, if we do not trust in you, that we will not experience heaven, but we will experience a place called hell. A place that the Bible calls weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we know, Lord, that with you, that doesn't have to happen. So, Lord, I pray that people would bow their knees this morning to you. That they would walk in your way. And they would walk in your truth. For your word is truth. Oh, Lord, we love you and praise you. And honor with you with all that we say and do. And all God's people said, amen.